Hello, hello, and welcome to another hometown daily news show. I am Marwat, and it means it's 9 p.m. on the East Coast. It's Friday, February 24th, 2023. Tonight's episode is titled <laughs> Mining Bitcoin on the Down Low. Actually, we're going to change that real quick. We're going to call it Mining Crypto on the Down Low. We've got 13 articles today, and uh, the first one is about Pokemon cards and NFL linebacker changes career. <laughs> uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is suing Paramount over South Park. Authorities are seeking the arrest of someone who was mining crypto under a high school. Uh, robotic bees and roots offer, I had such a hard time not saying birds and bees, but that's okay. Robotic bees and roots offer hope of a healthier environment. Uh, Jeff Coons makes this uh, balloon dog sculpture, and it's valued at over $40,000, and somebody apparently touched it. Walmart is shutting down some locations. It doesn't sound like it's a big deal, but it's a big deal. Uh, the latest jobs report doesn't tell you that savings is getting chipped away. Uh, a major theater chain is going to go bye-bye, I think. Uh, and its stock had already plummeted last September, but we'll talk more about it. An attorney is being sued for quiet quitting <laughs> their law firm. Uh, okay. And a Homebrew Con 2023 registration opens. We'll talk briefly about that. HomePod communicates with status lights, but what do they all mean? I have no idea. We'll talk about that. And finally, all this author, and not me, the author of the article, wants to do is touch this shiny black fidget putty. But it's not really fidget putty. Want to get into it? Let's go. There's something weird going on. Anyway, you know, uh, I... I made the mistake of having everything set up perfectly and then I had to reboot. And uh, when when you reboot, uh, Windows really doesn't like, I don't know, humans? I'm not quite sure. Stability? Mm, oh, well, we're not going to get them as a sponsor. Anyway, uh, so I rebooted things and it, it acts weird. The mixer just acts, acts really weird now. And it's, I know it's not the software because other people are saying that it's all Windows. I don't know what to say about this. Well, anyway, uh, I am Marwat. That is Ometown. This is all a preamble. And the AI from on high is uh, throwing me error messages for some reason. But what do you say? Good evening, Ometown citizens. <laughs> well, welcome, everybody. Anybody, if you are hearing my voice and it's not through the live stream, then come on over to twitch.tv slash hometown and you can become a citizen uh, over at hometown.com as well. There's where all the news is aggregated and we're expanding operations over there as well. So come and hang out and we can talk shop about the news. The very first article for today, though, is about a 29 year old who quit the NFL to sell Pokemon cards and. You know, some people have uh, a, 
a pandemic side gig, right? And I was sitting there going, what was my side gig? Well, I think I brought everything online, right? I, I, I opened it up to the public, like hometown. I, I opened up the, uh, the, the little hidden, uh, area that is hometown.com. I used it per professionally and personally. I opened it up for everybody else to come and hang out. I didn't make seven, I didn't make $5 million in seven months. But the title of this is 29 year old quit the NFL to sell Pokemon cards. His business brought in $5 million in just seven months. <laughs> so what did you do for your pandemic project AI? Uh, binge watch TV. Oh, well, that's admirable actually for an AI. Uh, so former NFL linebacker, uh, Blake Martinez quit football to sell Pokemon cards and his company Blake's breaks has brought in $5 million in the last seven months. Well, I know a little bit about what went down with this Megan sour, by the way, or sore. I'm not sure how to pronounce their last name it might be sour. Um, anyway, over at CNBC.com in a section called make it this, these are the, whenever somebody gets written about, it's the anomaly. For some reason, it's the anomaly. It's not just the standard everyday Joe. Well, Blake Martinez uh, was in the, was on the team of the New York giants. He had already made a, a, just gobs of money and then blew out his ACL. Um, but while he was, going through this recovery and the pandemic and whatnot. Um, he started trading, selling, flipping, uh, Pokemon cards. And now it's the side gig is the main gig, I guess. Probably not though. He had amassed more than $28 million in earnings already during his six year professional career. So whenever I read about these things, uh, you know, my business mind is uh, a lot of people will turn to this and go, oh, I hero worship this kind of thing. Um, but it's the anomaly. And I want to be real with people that you can have ambition and you can be like this. Um, you can aspire to be like this. But the chances of you amassing $28 million in your primary uh you know, nine to five gig so that you can, when you tear your ACL running from the parking lot into your office, uh, pivot over to selling Pokemon cards is a zero, you know, pretty much approaching zero. I'll, I'll give you a, a really far out, like 0.0001% chance. Uh, so I always tear these things apart, but I try and look at them as um, aspirational. So Martinez jumped on the trend in March of 2020, I think it is, buying a couple of boxes of cards for $30,000, paying a premium to buy vintage packs to try to get the collection back, then realize that the cards are not 99 cents anymore. There are packs that are worth $500,000. I mean, that's part of the problem here. Most people can't afford to start up uh, with that amount of cost. But what I did find interesting is he started with the cards actually way back. It said when he was six, I think, 
So right. I kind of liked that because he returned to what he had made some money in as a kid. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, and if you have this stuff sitting in a closet or storage area somewhere because, you know, you grew up, well, maybe there could be hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cards sitting in a box somewhere. Uh, so go visit your parents and climb into the attic. Maybe you and can hope pivot. That like they this. didn't throw away everything. <laughs> yeah, really. Been there. Um, so let's move on. We have 13 articles to go through real quick. Uh, the next article is in the Hatch Ideas channel. Warner Brothers Discovery sues Paramount over South Park streaming rights. This one is kind of interesting because it, it's over at CNBC as well. I don't know how I ended up down there, but um, Warner Brothers Discovery filed a lawsuit against Paramount on Friday over the streaming rights for South Park. The company is seeking hundreds of millions of dollars from uh, Paramount for what it views as a breach of contract for the exclusive rights. And this is, you're going to get keyed into something uh, when we go through this, because I had uh, seen a little bit about this when it came through or before it came through. And then um, again tonight. Um, so views it as a breach of contract for the exclusive rights, the exclusive rights to the comedic cartoon which lives on Warner Brothers Discovery HBO Max. And Paramount said in a statement that the claims were without merit and believes it is still adhering to its contract. <clears throat> but there's a lot to it. So um, they, they brought the suit and Warner said that it had agreed in 2019 to pay more than $500 million or approximately $1.69 million per episode to license South Park and they talk about it for a little bit, but Paramount's been running it on their network and Comedy Central. Um, yet they were supposed to be streaming it to a uh, time. Well, Warner Brothers Discovery, that's what it is now. Warner Brothers Discovery um, to their platform called HBO Max. <clears throat> now, Warner Brothers Discovery and HBO Max and that whole network is kind of like a hot mess. But it says during the bidding process for South Park rights, the filing said that Paramount allegedly asked whether Warner Brothers Discovery would consider sharing the rights. And uh, Warner HBO said it's a non-starter. Warner alleges in the lawsuit that Paramount went back on its contract and withheld South Park specials and other related content. And the suit points to Paramount's own fledgling streaming service, Paramount Plus, as the reason. Well, what actually apparently has transpired is that uh, Paramount has been streaming it to HBO Max uh, on time, on target, but not getting compensated for it but they're still fulfilling the contract. But uh, Warner Discovery is saying, no, that's not what's actually happening. So War Warner then claims that South Park and its creators moved forward with the production of other types of content, such as two pandemic-themed specials that aired between September 2020 and March 2021. But maybe that didn't go over to HBO Max. They further allege that the scheme was 
in the works when Paramount's subsidiary MTV signed a deal with South Park creators in 2021, which called for exclusive content for Paramount Plus, reportedly worth $900 million. So Warner, I think, is saying to the courts that uh, Paramount and and South Park creators, um, I think it's called South Park Studios, um, is actually... Yeah, South Park Digital Studios is basically uh, more than double dipping. They're licensing it to different organizations, even though they're saying that there's exclusive rights to Warner. Warner is claiming those exclusive rights. So uh, I'm not quite sure how much money they're going to end up trying to get total, but they're saying somewhere around $500 million, I think, is going to be the total amount. So it says uh, losses for the streaming business also narrowed to 217 million for the period, a 511 million year-over-year improvement. Um, that's a, a reporting of a big loss in quarterly earnings as the company faces softening advertising market. Yeah, people are kind of <laughs> backing away from their ad spend, which is pretty typical in the beginning of a year. Pretty wild. It's kind of complex, and it's all been done kind of in the shadows of the the boardrooms. People are making deals, and unless Warner discovers them or somebody says, hey, you know, it's streaming over there, I'm not quite sure what that exclusivity amounts to. Was there really exclusive rights that were granted to Warner? And what was the limit of them, right? So that seems like this is going to be extremely straightforward to resolve because the contract either says exclusive rights or it doesn't. And then also the other um, network either streamed the show or they didn't. Like this just seems, I mean, it, it's a very complicated set of allegations, I think, but it seems like it's going to be a no-brainer to resolve. Yeah, so I wonder if there's some subtle nuance in the contract that says that uh, Paramount has the ability to stream it initially, but it's supposed to get streamed over to HBO Max exclusively. Nobody else can utilize it. Because uh, I can't imagine Paramount Global saying, yeah, you know, we won't stream on our own network but I think it came into being around that same time. But I think that's the problem. I think Paramount may be granted exclusive rights and then went, hmm, we have a streaming service. Maybe we should be doing something. Um, because, well, unless there's some sort of carve out in there, exclusive has a pretty plain meaning. Yeah. Well, I guess we're gonna have to end up watching this too. Um, Information overload is real, folks. Let's move on to the next article, and this is kind of the the, the namesake of today's episode. Uh, you know what? I, I always do this. I get like two or three articles into it, and then I realize that I haven't put the articles into uh, the VOD, into the chat, so that people can actually click on them. Although you can click on uh, the links that are over in uh, showbot.com. Uh, omtown.showbot.tv. So that's that link that, that's right there. So if you go to that website, you can actually click on the articles that you think are going to be interesting, that you find interesting, and we can talk about it more 
uh, in either this episode or future episodes. And you can always ask questions in the chat. Uh, I am, and I should say we are really ready to go off our track uh, for any conversation. So feel free to throw questions or comments into the chat. Uh, that said, the next article is in the Daily News Show. Authorities seek arrest of a man who allegedly mined crypto under a high school and stole $18,000 worth of electricity. It's pretty interesting, so give them one Bitcoin and you're done. Uh, in uh, December 2021, a town found a secret crypto mining operation underneath a Massachusetts high school. Police are looking to arrest Nadim Han uh, Nahas, I guess his name is. Um the town's former assistant facilities director and Nahas failed to appear in court for an arraignment on Thursday. And, uh, I think that this person is going to be in a little bit of trouble because this isn't just, you're not just taking electricity from like an employer. This is actually funded by taxpayers. So you're defrauding taxpayers. Um, if it's a public high school, I haven't looked at what that is, but, um, well, the person worked for the town, so presumably it was a public high school. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so that's a logical leap there. Um, Jennifer Soar is the author over at businessinsider.com. And let's see if there's anything else in a summary. So, yeah, arraigned on Thursday on charges of vandalizing a high school or a school and stealing $18,000 worth of uh, electricity. Uh, vandalizing, it seems kind of interesting right they yeah i mean for crypto mining don't they just need to set up for instance computers i mean and what get do electrical. they do like cut cables or something i can't really imagine where the vandalizing would come into play maybe he created his own door to get in and out and cut cables uh, power lines so that he could actually get power to the the computers Says the town discovered 11 computers, electrical wiring, and ductwork in the crawl space of Cohasset High School in December 2021. Interesting. Um, so how did the ductwork happen without anybody noticing? <laughs> like, isn't that kind of noisy? <laughs> well, coming from experience, um, if you act like you know what you're doing, people tend not to question unless you're trained to question. And so, you know, you put on a work shirt and say that you're doing uh, HVAC and oddly enough, people just go, oh, oh okay. Um, that's why whenever I talk to people about stuff like this, I say trust but verify. Yeah, sure. Okay. We know who you are, at least according to you. Why don't you come over to security and we can make sure that you're badged properly. <laughs> Um, and not some inside threat. Anyway, according to the court documents, authorities concluded a cryptocurrency mining operation was unlawfully attached to the school's electrical system and alleged Nahas stole $17,492.57 of electricity from the school by running the computers nonstop from April to December of 2021. So how do you think this was uncovered? I'm thinking the electrical bills were off the charts and they're trying to figure out what's going on. I'm really curious. How did they actually discover it? Maybe somebody crawled into the crawl space. Um, 
I don't know. I don't think the article actually says anything, right? No, it says local authorities launched a probe and the equipment was also examined by the U.S. Coast Guard Investigative Service and the Department of Homeland Security. Um, what does it, the Coast Guard have to do with a crawl space under a school? I can maybe see Homeland Security, but... Uh, might have been local subject matter experts. Um, it is the investigation, uh, investigative uh, service, so they're they're probably <clears throat> skilled in the art of forensic analysis. Um, DHS, depending on who it was that was tapped, probably didn't have experience with that aspect of it. More about is this a threat to national security? Um, but yeah, it's this is pretty interesting. I, <laughs> uh, this would be a fun, I'll have to look into this and see if anybody is talking about it because uh, doing a forensic analysis of something like this, you can go back in the history, <clears throat> look at the logs, look at network traffic, look at all kinds of stuff um, to see where, when, what uh, it was doing. I can imagine that they're not too, these must be pretty sophisticated computers but were they completely unlocked and they just clicked on it, went to the desktop and they see the little username of the person and it says, you know, Nahas. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. So Bitcoin yeah, mining. <laughs> so, and then they talk about the general thing, um, something about in February, according to coin uh, data from coin wars, 39 trillion hashes in February. It's getting tougher to find uh, Bitcoin in particular, but other cryptocurrencies, um, it's there's hundreds of them now. So maybe they were doing more than just Bitcoin, but there's still some money in it, folks. Bitcoin just went up towards 25,000 and then crashed quite a bit today um, on economic results. Let's move on to the next article. Uh, this next article is in the Mobile Channel, and it's Robotic Bees and Roots Offer Hope of Healthier Environment and Sufficient Food. The robotic bee replicants home in on the unsuspecting queen of a hive, but unlike the rebellious replicants in the 1982 sci-fi thriller Blade Runner, these ones are here to work. So were the replicants. Well, they were there to survive, but they started out being workers. And a whole host of gigs, too. Gareth Wilmer, uh, it says Horizon, the EU Research and Innovation Magazine. Uh, for fizz.org, you can go and check out that site. Just follow the links. But we're going to talk about it briefly. Uh, combining miniature robotics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. The plan is for the robotic bees to stimulate egg laying in the queen by, for example, feeding her the right foods at the right time. So, uh, what wait staff, um, we plan to affect a whole ecosystem by interacting with only one single animal, the queen said, Dr. Farshad Arvin. And this is, is this one of those we asked if we could, but we didn't ask if we should, this is in, you know, it's one of those weird questions. 
uh, a roboticist and computer scientist at the University of Durham in the UK. Quote, if we can keep activities like egg laying happening at the right time, we are expecting to have healthier broods and more active and healthy colonies. This will then improve pollination. Don't you think nature takes care of that? Well, I think the problem is the bee populations have not been doing very well. Maybe they're trying to kind of stimulate those populations, but we all know that when they tinker with things in nature, that doesn't always fare well. Bad bat. The uh, Robo Royale project that Arvin leads combines micro-robotic, biological, and machine learning technologies to nurture the queen honeybee's well-being. Woosa. Woosa. Um, we all need a Robo Royale, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the bill's going to sting. So one aim is that the robot bees can potentially stimulate egg laying by providing the queen with specific protein-rich foods at just the right time to boost this activity. In turn, an expected benefit is that a resulting increase in bees and foraging flights would mean stronger pollination of the surrounding ecosystem to support plant growth and animals. The system enables six to eight robotic court bees. That This is going to be insane to see actually in existence. Some equipped with micro cameras to be steered inside an observation hive by a controller attached to them from outside. The end goal is to make the robot bees fully autonomous. By the way, I found um, a, a camera that is so small it can sit on the ridge of a single fingerprint. Just, just that little ridge. It can lay right across it. That tiny. It's so small. And I wish that I came prepared for this, but I'm never prepared for anything. Um, the team captured more than 150 million samples of the queen's trajectories inside the hive and detailed footage of their social interactions with other bees is now analyzing the data. Once the full robotic system is sufficiently tested, the RoboRail researchers hope it will foster understanding of the potential for biohybrid technology, not only in bees, but in other organisms. You know what that means. We're going to get bee wings where it's Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's right. I want to yeah. see the camera view from the Robo Royale. Like, I think that'll look cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it says the concept design of Robo Royale robotic controller. I'm not sure if I'm in a man. I, I guess I'm not very good at imagination because this is not helping. Because it looks I, like a giant thing. contraption, right? Right, but I thought it sounded almost like a little mini drone or something from how they were describing it. Yeah, and this embodiment looks like it's a big contraption and it has like puppet master armatures coming down to guide fake um, agents is what they call it, but fake bees to come and uh, help the queen. I don't know. I don't know. This is weird. Uh, there is a whole lot more uh, to this article, so I would suggest just following the link and uh, scooting on over there. And I don't know. 
Maybe we can make a buzz for this article. Yeah. You want to move on to the next article? Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, okay. Um, so Jeff Koons' balloon dog sculpture, valued at over $40,000, accidentally shattered at Miami Art Festival, and one collector wants to buy the pieces. This is in the Daily News show channel over at hometown.com. Uh, but it was aggregated by uh, my algorithm uh, from businessinsider.com. Aaron McDade is the author of this. And I wish that even the if you're in the podcast that you would look this up. Just look up Jeff Coons, K-O-O-N-S, Balloon Dog. Even if you misspell Coons, you could probably just type in Balloon Dog Sculpture and that would pop it up. Uh, but... This article has a great picture of what it looked before the oops took place. Um, it looks like a shiny uh, metallic balloon, the ones that are slowly being made illegal in various countries. Um, I think right and now in California, it's illegal in California. And I think all of the UK now has banned metallic balloons. I think, I think uh, we did a, uh, well, it might be before the AI was activated. Um, where we did uh, an article in it or about it. Uh, so a woman that was attending the event allegedly tapped the sculpture and it fell off its stand. And one collector told the Miami Herald and NPR that they were interested in buying the pieces as it's breaking is part of the sculpture story. So I guess he's breaking into the market of damaged art. Hey, that kind of a business is an art unto itself. Anyway. Buying broken sculptures. <laughs> Shattering the glass ceiling of broken sculpture. Um, one of Jeff Koons's famous balloon dog sculptures was broken. I've actually seen this thing um, in its broken state. Not physically. I've seen video of it in its broken state. And when you look at it, you think that maybe it's it was solid or something like that, but it's actually pretty wafer thin uh, ceramic. It's not glass um, per se, like clear glass. It isn't clay. It was ceramic. Um, and I think it's somewhere to the tune of maybe an eighth, maybe a 16th of an inch thick. I think 16th is probably the closest. I'm actually more in awe that it was created at all because I don't know how he created those. There, I mean, look at this thing. It looks like balloon sculpture. Yeah. It looks so, metallic, kind of. Yeah, and it, it's been coated with something metallic. Make it shiny. This one is blue. I guess there's others. But I'm astonished that the thing was even created. I mean, I've seen some pretty amazing art pieces, but I've never seen anything like that. That one's really cool. Um, so the Herald reported that the sound of the sculpture shattering drew a large crowd, and some wondered whether the piece breaking was part of a larger performance art exhibit, kind of like um, you know, stapling a banana to a wall and calling it art, or um, uh, what's the person artsy or uh banksy banksy sorry i don't know why i said artsy anyway 
because it is artsy, but anyway. So one person says, I find value in it even when it's broken. Uh, Gamson told the Herald. Uh, to me, it's the story. It makes the art even more interesting. I guess he could get it at a discount. Some of Kuhn's most famous works include his incredibly realistic balloon animal sculptures and the world-renowned uh, artist has sold works for some of the highest prices ever paid for works from a living artist. So I guess this guy doesn't mess around. Yeah, I wish that they would have included the video. Uh, the video is actually over on Instagram, but if you do a search for it, you will find it on YouTube and other places. Um, so give it a shot and give it and go and check it out. Um, let me throw this as well into the chat. You can go and check it out. So the next article is Walmart is going to be closing some of these shops. Um, the only reason, and I'm just going to say it briefly, uh, this doesn't bode well, uh, mainly because Walmart doesn't tend to shut down operations as far as I recall. Um, but they're shutting down seven stores and then turning two locations into pickup only. So basically a warehouse operation. Uh, Gabrielle Benez is the, uh, or Bienes is the uh, author of this article. And Walmart has 5,000 locations in the U.S., it's thought to be the nation's largest private employer, and it also has a um, local minimum wage setter. So it'll actually pay more for people um, to be like the door attendants kind of thing uh, all the way up. You know, they they tend to set that wage. Um, and the company CEO, Doug McMillian, said in December that retail theft could drive the company to close stores because what's been happening is people just run in, grab stuff, run out. Um, and there was no way to stop these people. And since they have so many people coming in and out of the stores, it just became an issue about loss. Uh, they had been doing some really weird things about um, trying to stop it by locking things down physically into the store. Um, and it just kind of became untenable because somebody was trying to get makeup, I think from one case and it was padlocked. Uh, so ra pretty rather absurd, but it's really because nobody is authorized and the liability is really high when you try and stop somebody. When I was first in retail, we could probably clothesline somebody, but as I left retail, uh, we were told that we weren't allowed to touch anybody. And it's all because of liability for harming somebody who's uh, stealing from the store. And the argument has always been, well, you have insurance and you can always um, get a new whatever it is, but, you know, harming somebody isn't right, that kind of thing. And um, it's not as easy as that because with every theft, insurance goes up uh, and and the average insurance goes up for everybody in high theft areas because of the theft. So it, it almost um, degrades the benefits of running an operation in high crime area. As it increases, your financial burden does just to exist. 
Well, anyway, the consumer is still very pressured, Rainey uh, told CNBC. And if you look at economic indicators, balance sheets are running thinner and savings rates are declining relative to previous periods. And so that's why they take a pretty cautious outlook on the rest of the year. So they're going to be shutting down operations to extend the runway. But this is only nine out of the 5,000 stores. Um, So it's not that big of a deal. But wait, let's see what ends up happening because this is the initial uh, shot across the bow, so to speak. Uh, Let's see what happens to the stock uh, in the coming days and weeks. Uh, And they're pretty kind of distributed all over the place. You know, one in Wisconsin, one in New Mexico, one in Illinois, then back to Florida and then over to Arkansas. Um, They're pretty much uh, all over. So I guess we'll see uh, what ends up happening. Yeah, I think it's one of the, I think it's an indicator too, because Walmart you don't normally see that they're expanding or they're doing this or that. And if they're shutting down, I think we'll see more of this from other, I mean, we have seen a lot of this from other retailers during the pandemic, but will we see more? Because Walmart is pretty well situated financially. And if they can't keep um, stores open, what does that mean for others? Yeah, so um, back in, 2022 um the pandemic drove them to close stores but uh, what i'm reading is that they included stores 160 locations over the past six years so i'm not sure this is the limit this is not going to be the end of it Uh, i think that as more companies are retracting and firing people and raising costs, uh, Walmart is going to either have to lower its, the price of its $2 eggs more so that people keep on buying there, um, or they're going to have to start closing down stores themselves to extend their runway, but they've got billions in their coffers. So maybe it won't amount to anything uh, at the end of the day. But There's I thought it was interesting. Thing kind of buried in here too, because the two pickup locations mm-hmm. were apparently converted from regular stores to pickup, and then those are being closed. So I think that's kind of interesting about whether that model works, because I would think most retail locations could do well as a pickup only location, except a place like Walmart probably. Um, banks on people picking up extra stuff when they step into the store. Right. Yeah. But they even reiterate in the article, we have nearly 5,000 stores across the U.S. and unfortunately some do not meet our financial expectations. So maybe these are indicators of depressed areas. So I wonder if there's, this might be the leading indicator for um, depressed locations these in particular, I can imagine that a store like this shutting down, the employees are now unemployed. It's no longer a distribution node either. So it's not like people can buy and it just gets sent out from that, these locations. Um, yeah, we'll have to see just what ends up happening, but 
If it stops at nine, I'd be surprised. I think it's probably going to end up closer to that 100. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the next article. This next article is over in the Bead Baby channel, which is actually a channel that I want to spin up that focuses on uh, like jewel crafting artisan um, sales of beads and jewelry and findings and stuff like that and do it live here on uh, Twitch. Um, that said, uh, it's still in development. We're still looking at things, but this is from one of the artisans over at um, a website that I tend to go to periodically to get inspiration. Um, and that's the beading gem, which is actually a person, but the site is named after them. This article is titled the amazing miniature worlds of Tatsuya and Tanaka miniature figures in jewelry design. Um, I'm just going to jump straight on over to the source because uh, it, again, it's at beadinggem.com and there's a person that's named Pearl Blay that goes by the beading gem name. And um, you're looking at, uh, or I should say we are looking at, and maybe if you're in chat, you're looking at uh, an iPhone and on it are a whole bunch of people that are little tiny figures sitting down fishing on or standing on what is probably interpreted as ice so they're ice fishing into the little blue marks for something that is turned on like an alarm because that's what they're standing on is the clock app pretty neat interpretation um but we're gonna scroll down a little bit just so i i can um show more of what they are and then you can go over to the site and watch the video that's there called miniature calendar by tetsuya tanaka um so this person actually has been doing this for a while, uh, close to 13 years, 12 years, I think they're at right now. Um, comes, with, comes up with dioramas and photographs them and creates little calendar, or not little calendars, creates miniatures um, and then takes pictures of them and turns it into a miniature calendar, which you can go and see at miniature-calendar.com. Um, but before you go there, uh, go over to beadinggem.com and, and and or follow that link through hometown. It's really neat. So he 3D prints little people and small props, paints them according to what he needs, um, and then takes things that are around him all the time, like little stalks of broccoli, and um, recreates a safari kind of run through the broccoli with... Um, 3d rhino and uh elephants and other there's a lion in this one i don't know this one this looks like an alligator but i don't think i don't know there's like hippos and uh, a giraffe and and then there's two jeeps and in the jeep there's actually a little 3d printed figure and they've painted that figure and it's actually a calendar on it is 220 saturday um, that's the, the date for that particular calendar. So 220, 2023, and there's a person sitting in a sponge, but it's a bath and, uh, recreated the Beatles walking across the, their, um, what, what Abbey was it called? Road. Abbey road. Abbey that's road. right. Yeah. Um, and that's for June 29th, 2022 and so on and so forth and taking common things putting 3D printed figurines on it after they've painted them uh, and then 
taking pictures and turning it into a calendar. Oh, these are really cool. There's one with staples and a stapler. <laughs> it makes it look like a park or something. Yeah, look at that one. What do you think that one is? <laughs> Skiing down a some sort of vegetable, but it looks like a snow slope. Yeah. Ski slope. Pretty neat, right? And the gondolas that are are for bringing people up the mountain are the peelers. That's really great. Just very ingenious, right? Yeah. So this is supposed to be like the Taj Mahal kind of a thing. But it's right? actually chess pieces. Yeah, but it's chess pieces. It's pretty neat. Just one thing after another. I mean, the creativity is pretty amazing. Um, so, and then it changes into uh, some jewelry work. So, uh, but I was more interested in the uh, little dioramas. So you can go and check out the rest of the pictures. Just go over uh, to the site through Omtown. Um, and thanks. Let's move on to the next article. Uh, this next one is in the mobile channel what the latest jobs report doesn't tell you chipping away at income a look at the country's current job situation and what do you see an unemployment rate that's at its lowest in 54 years nearly uh, two open jobs for every one unemployed worker more than 500,000 jobs created in january alone crushing the estimate of most experts but if you take a closer look as the author did with February's U.S. Census Bureau uh, Household Pulse Survey, what do you see? One out of every nine American adults, or nearly 12%, experienced a loss of unemployment, or sorry, a loss of employment income in January. So how is that possible? You know, people aren't going to go, people aren't working. Uh, Christian Wurstel is a contrib uh, an opinion contributor over at The Hill and wrote this article. Um, so wages are expected to increase 4.6% in 2023 as a partial result. Companies are desperate to hire amidst uh, a worker shortage that has left millions more open jobs than unemployed workers. And most people would assume that the employee has all of the leverage here. Uh, well, it's always the, the person that's providing the job that has, the, there's a power imbalance here. Um, so this person did an analysis of the census data that su suggests shots have been fired and holes are abound. Um, let's see. For one, many people are technically employed by the definition of the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, but hardly meet the definition in more practical terms. This is something that I've brought up before, um, as well as there are people who are not seeking a job and therefore they are not counted as unemployed um, because they're not a job seeker and the way that you're defined as a job seeker is that you're applying for jobs um, and if you don't apply guess what you're not even counted as someone that's um, you know uh, unemployed or seeking employment so us you could also be underemployed right like correct. you could be full-time but not doing whatever you're capable of doing correct a, a phd that's holding a door open that kind of thing um now hell they, they may have obtained a phd and they love doing what they're doing holding a door open but that's not necessarily by choice and it's defined by a 
arguably a discussion somewhere, but I hardly, well, I, it's all anecdotal when I say I hardly ever hear of conversations about people asking you if you're happy with your job. So around 40% of Americans have a second source of income, many of whom need it just to get by. Side hustles can be fleeting, especially post-holiday season. Um, more than 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Nearly as many Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. I just talked to somebody that said that they've finally saved up enough money, um, but because their car is needing repair, they're now losing all of that money. Um so they're living month to month. So the this contributor says, don't get me wrong. We should all applaud the low unemployment rates, especially among women and minorities. We should breathe a little sigh of relief uh, at the promising jobs report and that uh, we should feel plenty of optimism in our job security. But not to forget that things are not always as they seem. Uh, these are, there was a typo in this article, but... I'm actually going to draw attention to that later. There's another article in here that's going to throw a percentage out and um, you don't have any understanding of that percentage without the actual statistical significance of it. A Something r reported as being 100% is almost always so low it's statistically insignificant um, and might represent two people who happen to be in the same household and have the same ideological bent. Um, hence you end up with things like a, well, I won't even, I won't get there. Well, but you should always look at the sample size. If it's a survey or some kind of statistic. Right. And here we go. So this is an article in the hatch ideas channel, which is all about business, business transformation and tends to kind of knock onto, um, intellectual property and copyright trademarks, patents, things like that. Anything that really gives a benefit to a company to um, stray, not stray, but uh, stay uh, strategically sound. So this is a theater chain stock plummets over 30% after revealing shareholders will lose all equity amid bankruptcy. So Cineworld, which owns a popular uh, movie theater called Regal Cinemas, has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the U.S. In, uh, back in September of 2022. If you go and look at their stock chart, they basically, well, there was an aspiration of a dead cat bounce. Uh, it didn't bounce very high, so it just hit the ground and splatted. Um, but let's go over to this article. It's in entrepreneur.com. Emily Rella, or maybe Rhea, is the author of this article. And it says, uh, although moviegoers have been able to return to the cinema, the companies themselves are having a much harder time bouncing back. One such company is UK-based Cineworld, which owns Cinnabon. No, they don't own Cinnabon. I was cracking a joke because of the way it's spelled. Uh, the way it sounds, I should say. Cineworld owns a uh, very well-known chain, Regal Cinemas, which has declared Chapter 11 bankruptcy protect protection in its U.S. markets. Now, the company announced that it expects shareholders to have equity completely wiped out as they've been unable to find a buyer, which basically means all of their assets are going to be sold to recover as much for the stakeholders. Um, and 
by that, I mean, they have so much debt that if they liquidate everything, it'll be going to those debtors and nobody will have any value in the stock. Not unless somebody comes in at the last minute, swoops up the carcass and resurrects it by injecting a massive amount of money. Um, and even then, the only way that that's going to happen is if all of the debtors say, um, yeah, we'll accept whatever it is just so that we make three more cents on the dollar. Um, but if you, when you take a look at the stock ticker, it's actually at three cents a share. So when they say that it went down 30%, it actually went down a penny. <laughs> yeah, that's a little misleading. <laughs> yeah, because it makes it sound like it it was a $30,000 a share stock and it lost $10,000. No. Um, so the company noted that they did not receive any all cash bids. The theater, and, and when they say that, the only way that they're going to get an all cash bid is like I, I just said, I would roll in there with um, a contract that says you accept what I'm giving you and you charge off all debts, remove any burden from this company um, and I'll buy all of the um, material, keep everybody employed, keep everything in situ, keep the name uh, Regal Cinemas, um, pull Cineworld away from it and I'll own that company, uh, but I'm not going to pay more than maybe it would be kind of ridiculous five cents um because you could arguably strategically scoop up all of this stuff in an auction because uh, it's going to get parted out there's going to be a corporate auction selling all of this equipment um in a heartbeat uh, just so that the uh, people who are bearing the financial responsibility for these assets get some money back but they're going to charge on as if everything is normal. The theater chain plans to operate business as usual in all of its global markets as the restructuring continues, including continuing to honor all terms of existing membership programs, such as Regal Unlimited, Regal Crown Club in the U.S. But this is a, a bankruptcy in the U.S. So what, what went on in the U.S. where it's not being mentioned that it's closing down elsewhere because it says Cineworld overseas theater chains regal cinema cinema city picture house and yes planet the chain has multiple or locations across multiple countries with its strongest markets being the uk and the us so how much of the value of the us market was exfiltrated um to their home base which is the uk it's not the us yeah, I was surprised to see this was a UK company because I'm used to the Regal um, presence in the US. Um, yeah. And that's a little bit unusual to have a UK owned um, US company. I mean, not impossible. Yeah, not really. Yeah. So according to Reuters, Cineworld uh, was seeing a net debt of $8.81 billion by the end of last June, including lease liabilities. So they weathered the entire pandemic and then managed to do this instead of doing what Walmart is doing 
with 5,000 stores and starting to shave off the ones that are definitely not going to be able to pull their own weight, let alone save the rest of the company, um, they kept on kind of kicking the can down the road, it sounds like. Don't you think theaters were probably one of the hardest hit businesses or types of businesses during the pandemic? I mean, not the only one, but like nobody went to a movie theater for several months after the pandemic started. Oh, uh, for, well. Maybe more than months. I'd say a a good year and a half, nobody went to a theater um, because it was either barred entirely uh, by either state mandate or a federal mandate. Um, but when they did open their doors, they had to be six feet apart. You're still in close approximation of each other. I wouldn't go into a theater, uh, uh unless, uh, the fountain of youth could be at the bottom of that theater. And I would still struggle to go in there. Uh, it was, it was, um, Barbers, haircut places, right? Um, gyms and movie theaters that basically shut down entirely. And it's all because the spread of COVID was so <laughs> palpable. You go into a room that has a whole bunch of people breathing heavy, sweating and coughing and, you know, right next to you cutting your hair and exhaling constantly, you're going to get COVID. Nobody wanted that. Um, so, uh, here we are. Oh, you know what? Did I not? Yeah, I didn't throw that into um, the chat either. I am slacking. So the theaters uh, are going to try and come back, but some of them aren't. I don't think that um, Regal is long for this world here in the U.S. So. I don't either, but I think if that goes under... That's going to be most of the cinemas in the U.S., I believe. Yeah, I think they own a large swath of um, movie theaters, but I think that there's going to be another competitor that just picks them up. Um, You know, part of a fire sale kind of a thing. There are others that are still doing okay, and they may see this as, well, let me leverage my success and then take these over, slap my name on it, and I have instant operation. I could even keep the same people hired um, as long as they were good performers, you know, just re-interview. Let's move on to the next article. This next one is in the Law Nerd channel, and it's titled, Attorney Sued for Quiet Quitting Her Law Firm Job. Uh, Can you get sued for quiet quitting your job? Well, you know what? An attorney is going to find out. If anybody's going to find out if you can be sued for quiet quitting, it's going to be an attorney working for a law firm. Uh, who decided to quiet quit. So Catherine Rubino over at AboveTheLaw.com wrote this article, and it it starts out with, the pandemic changed society in a number of ways, but in terms of working lives, the biggest impact of COVID was the ubiquity of working from home. So it says, yesterday, uh, New York-based litigation firm Napoli Skolnick sued one of its attorneys, Heather Palmore, and her law firm, uh, the Palmore Group PC, for multiple counts, including breach of contract, breach of fiduciary duty of loyalty, aiding and abetting breach of fiduciary duty of loyalty, injurious falsehood, unjust enrichment, declaratory judgment, and constructive trust. This is the 
the only way that you can possibly get this contraption of legal bingo um, is from a law firm. You, you won't even be able to, you could sue somebody and have all of these elements in your case and the law firm wouldn't construct this sentence on your behalf to prosecute somebody. This is the kind of thing where you piss somebody off and now you're about to pay the price. <laughs> What's interesting though, is that um, it's a, a litigation firm, Napoli Skolnick, that's suing one of its attorneys, Heather Palmore, who has their own law firm, the Palmore Group PC. So are Don't they a sub? Don't you think that's a root issue? I bet they're a competitor. So according to the complaint, Palmore quit, quiet quit her job at the plaintiff's law firm while she worked at her own practice. There you go. Which actually, it's a conflict of interest. They shouldn't, she should, well, she's going to lose this hands down. Unless somewhere along the line, you know, there was a I quit letter that went out. Yeah, but I think she was still getting paid by the, um, the original firm. Yeah, let's find and out. And she was probably billing, so then there's a problem, too, from the firm to the clients. And, and telling that client, hey, you're actually working for my law firm. <laughs> oh, right. Or I, I should say, I'm working for my law firm. I'm just providing these services. Um, so according to the complaint, Palmore Quiet quit her job at the plaintiff's law firm while she worked at her own practice in pursuit of personal pecuniary, I love that word, pecuniary gain. Why not just say personal profits? <clears throat> um, defendant Palmore rep misrepresented her skill set experience and book of business to obtain a position with Napoli Skolnick, where she took advantage of the new remote work environment to quiet quit her job and simultaneously worked for two law firms at once, both plaintiff and the defendant Palmore Law Group in violation of her employment agreement and New York law. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> this again is one of those things where they got her like dead to rights, right? So the complaint alleges that the defendant's law firm operated in competition with her employer, quiet quitting and working multiple jobs, collecting a, it says collecting a one of the most substantial draws in the entire firm from Napoli Skolnick while performing little to no work for Napoli Skolnick and while directly competing with the firm by simultaneously running the defendant Palmer Law Group PC, these actions were in direct violation of her employment. This is just basically a, um, referencing the fact that she was getting a draw from. <laughs> it makes her sound like she was a partner, though. Right? Yeah, I mean, it does because, uh, like, the book of business and everything... Um, at least it sounds like she was supposedly a rainmaker for that firm. So it's that's, interesting. That's certainly where it's coming from. Um, the complaint goes on to allege that Palmore's timesheets were also fabrications unsupported by the legal work the defendant accomplished. That, that is interesting. Because you would have to have complaints from your clients saying that I'm not getting... Well, that's... <laughs> some point you'd fail the client because if you number one you're billing for things that you're not performing but secondly right. what if you're in litigation or something if you didn't actually do the work 
you know, did you turn in a shoddy filing or something? I mean, there's a work product audit. You got to make sure that your documents, who's the paralegal that's watching this? <laughs> uh, well, who's so, the uh, billing attorney? Why? I mean, just there's so many questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and if they're a distance, then you're... A paralegal is doing a lot of your accounting as an attorney. Like you basically tell the the paralegal and your support staff, this is what I'm doing and go and bill, that kind of thing. And um, when you are teleworking, that paralegal is way outside arm's reach of the attorney. They could turn to another partner and just say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not getting any work product, but I'm billing people. <laughs> um, because it's not, uh, there's really no love lost in a law firm. If somebody's a bad performer, then it's looking really bad on the reputation of the entire firm, everybody involved, um, and people talk. So, further, the complaint accuses Palmer of attempting to extort money from the firm by making false and defamatory claims of discrimination directed to others without any factual basis once her scheme was discovered. Yeah, this is just a hot mess. Wow. So it says, as we state in our papers, Ms. Palmore rep misrepresented her skill set, experience, and book of business to obtain a position with Napoli Skolnick. She then directly competed with Napoli Skolnick uh, by leading her own law firm. So when she hung her own shingle, um, that book of business, although it may have been weak to Napoli Skolnick, Ultimately, it was enough to keep her employed. Um, so I don't know if the book of business, maybe it was misrepresented to Skolnick, but not to herself, obviously. Right. Or maybe she presented it, but then actually brought it to her own firm. I don't know. Pretty wild. Yeah, so... Widger Law partner David Gottlieb has a markedly different take on the events that occurred. Napoli Skolnick filed this completely bogus preemptive lawsuit only after Ms. Palmore raised serious claims of discrimination against the firm and was preparing to file her own action, Gottlieb. Uh, this preemptive lawsuit is a transparent and ill-advised attempt to try to gain some perceived strategic advantage, but it is obviously an act of blatant retaliation. We will be moving forward with Ms. Palmore's lawsuit in order or in short order, which will include claims based on this retaliatory conduct. Interesting. I mean, this is a, this basically amounts to, uh, you know, they said they said kind of a thing, but this is a very elaborate like the the word soup here for the Skolnick firm is very expansive, deliberate in saying just how incapable um, Palmore really was. And they didn't find out about it until some other point, but they don't say when they found out, how they found out. They just say that the book of business wasn't right. She was erroneously billing people, et cetera, misrepresenting her skills and so on. But she had her own firm. Yeah, I wonder what happened. Like, I wonder if clients filed a complaint with the original firm or, for instance, she was supposed to 
be at something a proceeding or something with the one firm and she missed it like i'm just kind of interested to know what the triggering event was yeah maybe i don't know um above the law does a really good job of doing a synopsis of uh, a case that r rolls across their radar and um I don't think anything is miss would be missing some uh, anything substantial would be missing from this um, but i don't see what it was they say that skolnick was not skolnick they say that palmore was performing little to no work um, and competing directly with the firm while simultaneously um, working for the firm right so i don't know but you never want to piss off attorneys you just never do so follow this link, go, go through hometown over to above the law and read the rest of this. You'll, you'll get a kick out of the style of writing and uh, maybe suss out some more, uh, information from this. So let's keep on uh, trucking through this. The next three are pretty quick articles. Um, just wanted to let people who are interested in this know homebrew con 2023 registration opens on March 7th. Um, this is in a, a channel that is, uh, I call of the brew, but it's the order of the brew. Um, we just wanted to call, or I should say, I, the mayor of hometown wanted to call it, uh, of the brew, um, because, uh, you can be a member of the brew or, uh, brotherhood of the brew or sisterhood of the brew or personhood of the brew or anything of the brew. Um, and, uh, the whole idea is to talk about beer <laughs> so homebrew con 2023 registration opens march 7th um, and if you follow this link it'll take you over to um, homebrewer homebrewers association dot org and it actually shows you recipes uh how to actually make the beer you can get equipment and find breweries and do all kinds of stuff uh, at this site so if you're into this kind of a thing um, follow the link and go over there and, and check it out. Um, and uh, you know what, before we go there, I forgot where it is. Oh, it's going to be in San Diego. So, um, AI, I'll see you later. Now, how much actual talking is there, or is this really just sampling the beers? Oh, it, it's completely alcohol free. So, it, it it's cool for the mayor to go as a, a work thing right yeah uh, okay. i don't think it's alcohol free <laughs> this is not the con oh that's an interesting choice of words this is not the coin the con you're looking for mm, no anyway nowadays you can actually get a gadget that you just throw all of the ingredients in and it automatically brews everything. Um, and then you take the bag out and throw it away and you uh, empty it into another container and you stick that in your uh, garage refrigerator and you get ice cold beer. And you don't have to do any of the messy part. It's pretty cool. Okay, so the next article is HomePod communicates with status lights, but what do the, all the colors mean? And I'm just going to hurry up and go through this. Zach Hall over at 9to5Mac.com uh, put this article together, 
and it says it'll walk you through it like a static white light uh, appears anytime that it's playing audio. And so if you walk into a room and it has that little soft glowing light on top, then you know that um, either it is playing it and it's uh, muted really, really low so you can't hear it, or it is um, active on like an Apple TV, but it's not playing it out. Um, and uh, every once in a while, I'll actually see that. And it's because I've paused something and it's still remaining a little bit uh, white light for some reason. I'm not sure why it does that kind of thing. It says you'll see this faint glow if you're playing music or podcasts with Siri using HomePod for your home theater speakers or airplaying audio of any type from another device. So that's what it's talking about, or that's what I was talking about. Now, I've never seen this. So the status light lets you, uh, appears when you're using HomePod for phone calls. And I don't use the HomePod for phone calls. Um, and then there's maintenance lights, like a little swirling white one. Um, I, I think what it, yeah. So the spot, the white spinning light appears anytime the HomePod is being powered on or is going through a software update. Um, and it's basically reattaching to the network as well. As far as I know, um, that all in one type of operation, it, it's rebooting. I've never seen an orange one, um, but it says a much less common uh, status light. But they say that it's no uh, reason for concern. The orange flashing light will only appear on a HomePod Mini, and that's because it doesn't integrate the power supply inside the speaker housing. So I guess it's about, it uses, uh, I'm not quite sure what is going on. So you'll see the orange light when the HomePod mini is connected to a computer. This is even more rare as it's uh, only needed when troubleshooting a software error on the HomePod. And then there's the spinning red one. Unlike Xbox consoles, the red ring is not uh, of its demise. Um, it simply means that you are about to reset the HomePod to factory settings. And then a flashing light, it's an SOS sign from your HomePod. And then you have to do certain things. Um, pretty neat. The one that I really like is when it's starting up, um, the multicolored there, it was a much more elaborate one on previous home pod. Um, this says that it's thinking and, and, uh, listening and whatnot and processing something. Uh, but there was another one that was prior to this that had much greater fidelity. The original one. Um, and it was like sparkly and stuff like that. And you put your camera over it and it would decode the signal from that, uh, blinky blinky and, um, connect your device to your network. It was pretty cool. Um, let's move on to the next one. And the last one, uh, it's not fidget putty, but it's titled fidget putty. Let me throw this into, oh, you know what? I just did this backwards. Anyway, um, all I want to do is touch the shiny black fidget putty. They put it in quotes and it's for a reason. Why do we fidget? Or perhaps at the very least, why do, why does the author fidget? It's because their parents yelled at each other when he was a baby or she was a baby. I don't know. Um, because 9-11 happened, brain wasn't fully formed, whatever it might be. 
Now they crave fidget stuff, messing with things. So they say, please let me squish this pile of tiny magnetic rocks that look like something out of Star Trek. And that's what it looks like. It, it's basically um, the same thing that you would basically take a um, magnetic rocks, um, magnetite, and just smash it up and then tumble it. And you end up like this, basically magnetic river stones. Um, but there are a, a certain grain, a certain dimension. Um, and so you can sit there and squeeze them and, and fidget with them. I'm not quite sure why they wouldn't run afoul of certain rules. Because I think that those little... Um, oh, let me, I'll say the author of this article. This is over at vice.com. Angel Kilmes, Kilmister is the author of this and it's titled all I want to do, or all I want is to touch this shiny black fidget putty, but it's actually just little magnetic rocks. Um, and they do a, a massive share of their, uh, personal life. <laughs> um, but I'm sure it's fine with them. Um, and they talk about um, Americans, 30% of Americans suffering from anxiety disorders in some form um, in fidget toys and ASMR and things like that uh, actually uh, help people out. And, but this is kind of like those little magnetic balls that uh, people, kids were apparently swallowing those things and it was getting their uh, stomachs all tied up. Um and this is just, it just doesn't seem any different than that. And that other stuff was actually banned. Uh, so I don't know um, what the fate of this will be, but it says uh, that they spent a lot of time in sharper image and um, they like objects, it says objects um, that look straight out of the shelves of a Star Trek Enterprise. Um, it's an interesting writing style. And it says their powerful Prometheus vibe. These glossy little stones are squishable, stackable, and wildly satisfying to mess with, pick up, drop, tap, massage. And they kind of just revel in it. As long as the magnetic field is strong enough to stick them all together, I think that it would be fun to mess around with it. But um, I'm more prone to put something like that inside one of those really heavy-duty um balloons and tie the end off so i know that this stuff isn't going to go anywhere and then i can just squeeze it to my heart's content without fear of dropping one and a pet scooping it up or whatever else you want to call it pretty cool interesting at least yeah it is i mean i kind of wonder how we all got by without any kind of fidget toys or or whatever but yeah, I think depending all these on, things are neat. <laughs> depending on who you talk to, apparently we like set buildings on fire and uh, absconded cars and all kinds of stuff. You know, the first time that I ever heard the word abscond um, was 25 years ago. I still remember where I saw it. Somebody apparently stole a key from a mailbox somewhere. And they wrote, um, somebody wrote a note, someone absconded with the dot, dot, dot. Um, okay, but I that's just, interesting. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know where I first heard the word, but <laughs> that's yeah. a pretty visual uh, something, I guess, that would stick with you. Yeah. Um, that said, we are done. This has been the hometown daily news show for February 24th, 2023. Um, that is hometown right there. And I am Marwat. And that, that is the AI. And I say from on high because they're actually up there. Um, that, discusses all of the news with me and i want to thank you for joining me again another night another series of articles did you have fun always always have a good night hometown citizens and we hope to see you again tomorrow we will see you again tomorrow ciao Thank you.